It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome tonight. The WA nurse accused of pretending to administer a COVID vaccine. More from Perth. A concerning new angle being pursued in the Cleo Smith investigation. The Victoria Premier dragged back into the red shirt election scandal live in Melbourne. And back in business, the US opens up to international tourists for the first time in almost two years. We cross to New York. But we begin with breaking news. A family has been shattered tonight after a tragic head-on smash south of Brisbane. Georgie Chumley is there. Georgie, it was a chaotic scene. Good evening, and it's absolutely devastating. Everyone involved in this crash who is still alive has been rushed to hospital. One mother has tragically died. She was driving a car with three others of her family members. Those three members are in a serious condition. The other driver of the other car is in a critical condition after two four-wheel drives collided on this semi-rural road. It's on the border of Logan and the Gold Coast hinterland, and it happened just after 6pm. Now, one of the first responders has described the road as like a roller coaster. It's undulating with twists and turns, and we have had plenty of rain just in the past few hours, and particularly this afternoon. And police officers who've attended the scene seem particularly shaken. We spoke to one earlier. Yeah, it's horrific. Two very large four-wheel drives have hit at a great rate of speed and it is horrific. They will have an effect on everyone who's who's been there tonight and, and every other one of these accidents that we'll go to in the, in the coming weeks, months and years and they, they just keep rolling on and on because people won't slow down. Now, a farmer nearby heard the impact and called triple zero. The forensic crash unit is on site investigating and they will prepare a report for the coroner. OK, thanks so much, Georgie. In more breaking news, an urgent health alert has been issued for a COVID outbreak linked to a funeral in Sydney's west. The ceremony was attended by a large number of people at the North Chapel of Pine Grove Memorial Park in Minchinbury on Saturday the 30th of October. Many of the mourners also attended a wake at a nearby home. Anyone who went to either event is a close contact and must be tested as a priority. Tomorrow marks a long-awaited moment in New South Wales for HSC students. After COVID delays, they'll finally sit their exams. Tom Saker has the details from Sydney. Tom, there'll be strict protocols in place. What do they look like? Well, Ange, on a day when New South Wales uh, people can finally enjoy some new freedoms, the HSC students may have got their hopes up a little bit, thinking that some of the school restrictions may have been eased. But that's certainly not the case. Masks will be mandatory when the students go to sit their HSC exams tomorrow. There have been a number of concerns raised about masks. Uh, the students saying that the already stressful exam situation will become even more stressful, that they may be somewhat of a distraction. The New South Wales Education Standards Authority has 
being quite strict on this, saying that the only reason that students can remove masks momentarily is for drinking water, defogging their glasses or scratching their face. There will also be a number of other restrictions in place. Uh, the social distancing 1.5 metre rule, students must check in and hand, and hand sanitise regularly. Uh, any student who is sick must absolutely stay at home. Uh, the good news maybe for students who are worried about uh, wearing their masks is, is that they may be able to take some comfort in the fact that the close to 70,000 students will all be in the same boat. And the New South Wales Premier said this morning that he did consider alternatives. However, he wasn't satisfied that any of them were safe enough to get these students through the already delayed HSC exams. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. I know it's a pain, I know it's a sacrifice that many of these students who start tomorrow, on top of everything else they've gone through over the course of their HSC year, it's very difficult. I accept that. Tom, tomorrow the state hits 90% fully vaccinated for those people who still need some convincing. There is compelling new figures on how vaccines have protected the state from Delta. That's right, Angela. The new data revealed that uh, during this latest Sydney outbreak of Delta, of the more than 1,000 people who ended up in ICU, uh, only um, 30 were fully vaccinated. And uh, those unvaccinated were 16 times more likely to end up in ICU or die as a result of COVID-19. Certainly compelling evidence. Uh, and if unvaccinated people needed another reason to go and get the vaccine, this was certainly it. But this all happened on a day when New South Wales, of course, is expected to hit the double dose, 90% in the next 24 hours. Uh, but the vaccination rate is, it has come to a crawl, really. Uh, New South Wales Health only administered 281 first doses yesterday, which is actually far fewer than the amount of people who lined up to get a third booster shot. Uh, but if there was another reason, this data was it. The vaccine is proven and is effective against uh, fighting COVID-19. Yes, indeed, Tom. OK, thanks so much. So let's take a look at the race to vaccinate. More than 80% of eligible Australians are fully vaccinated against COVID. 90% of the population is on track to be double dosed by the 10th of December. Here's the state and territory breakdown. 67% of Queenslanders have received both doses. New South Wales, as we just mentioned, is officially due to hit 90% tomorrow. The nation's capital has 95% full coverage. It's 84.6% in Victoria. Tasmania sitting at more than 78%. South Australia has surpassed 70%. The top end has almost hit 67% and Western Australia, the last in the nation, but only just 0.1% behind the Northern Territory. A Perth nurse has been charged with fraud offences, accused of pretending to vaccinate a teenager. For more on this, we're joined by Jeff Parry from Perth. Jeff, this nurse faced court today. What happened? Uh, well, she's a 51-year-old nurse from Byford, that's in Perth's East Ange. She was working at a clinic in Victoria Park over a number of days and injected or allegedly injected a number of people. That's in question now. Uh, up to 25 people may be involved in this ongoing police inquiry. Today's uh, court appearance dealt with just one. Um, she's been charged with uh, trying to get a benefit through fraud and that involved the 15-year-old teenager who was brought into the Vic Park Clinic by uh, a parent, uh, a 
doctor wanted to observe that vaccination. It's alleged that um, that uh, Christina Benz uh, deliberately ex- obscured his uh, view of the vaccination. That in fact she just she inserted the needle, but that she didn't follow through by injecting the contents, and a needle was found with a full dose in it in the bin. She's also alleged to have uh, falsified uh, records of the injection, naming someone else at the clinic as having given the vaccination. So, Jeff, what kind of penalties is this woman facing? Well, it depends on how many people are charged or how many charges she faces in the end. As I said, it's, it's only one at the moment. It, it involves people who are known to her, um, either family or friends. She's alleged to have injected her parents and her chiropractor husband, but also people who came in off the streets and specifically asked uh, for her to do the vaccination. Now, a lot of these vaccinations, it's alleged, were done behind closed doors for privacy. So, as you see, this, uh, an, there is an ongoing investigation uh, by the police. It's likely that she's going to face more charges. OK, thanks so much, Jeff Parry. Police are tonight trying to find a traveller who did a runner at Darwin Airport's COVID border controls. A man who just flown into the top end from Sydney managed to evade authorities manning an entry checkpoint. The Northern Territory Police Commissioner says officers are working to track him down. Top sporting identities are right now in isolation after attending a Melbourne Cup after party that's been linked to at least three new COVID cases. Part owner of winner Very Elegant, Aussie Keir, is one of the people who tested positive. Other high-profile guests at the celebrations included Ricky Ponting and Trent Cochin. And mask mandates in southeast Queensland could be lifted within days. The state's acting chief health officer says with no community transmission right now, he's looking at relaxing the restriction. But masks will be back once COVID crosses the border until vaccination rates are higher. The Victorian Premier has been accused by one of his former ministers of turning a blind eye to the misuse of electorate staffers in a scandal now known as the Red Shirts Rort. Estelle Greerpink is covering the Corruption Commission hearing for us. Estelle, what are the details? Good evening, Ange. Well, Adam Sumurak had quite a lot to say today as he was giving evidence to a public hearing into alleged corruption in the Victorian Public Service and the Parliament. Among the things he told IBAC today, that branch stacking was common and that he knew that it was happening on both sides. He also claims that he told Daniel Andrews and warned him about the red shirt scandal where taxpayer-funded staff were going out and campaigning for Labor ahead of the 2014 election. And today he also told IBAC that that was a gold standard rort. Let's take a listen now to what he had to say about branch stacking and who he says was involved. It was the left and the right going at it hammer and top. You had Anthony Byrne as the chief recruiter uh, from the right. And um, I think Daniel Andrews was organising from the left. Now, Ange, Daniel Andrews has denied any wrongdoing and says he hasn't broken any party rules. But we can expect to hear more bombshell allegations from Adam Sumerick in the coming days. He is giving evidence from 10.30 tomorrow, but he has been told to keep things a little more concise. Today, his answers to the hearing were quite long-winded. Ange? OK, thanks so much, Estelle. 
Detectives say they're getting close tonight to solving the suspected murders of two Victorian campers and believe the driver of this car could hold the answer to cracking the case. Witnesses claim it matches a four-wheel drive parked near Russell Hill and Carol Clay's campsite before they vanished. It was also captured by roadside cameras leaving the grounds the following day. Investigators are probing the theory the driver was involved in a dispute with the couple over a camping spot. Tonight we can identify the four-year-old twins killed in a house fire near Byron Bay. Ophelia and Taro suffocated from smoke inhalation after a candle ignited a piano in their room. The girls had been visiting their father as part of a joint custody arrangement. He and his partner were at a bonfire at a neighbour's property at the time. A man is due in court tomorrow, accused of orchestrating and paying for the assassination of Rebels bikey boss Nick Martin in Perth. David Pye allegedly gave the order for a sniper to carry out the execution. He allegedly plotted to have a woman and another senior bikey who was overseas killed too. Police say Pye paid $300,000 to the gunman. And detectives are tonight back in Carnarvon on trying to work out if Cleo Smith's alleged kidnapper had help. The lead investigator says his focus this week is to ascertain if any other suspects were involved in the abduction. Seven News understands a separate investigation is underway, delving into Kelly's past, stretching back decades. Tonight we're being promised the cost of buying and running an electric car will come down under a plan to be unveiled by the federal government tomorrow. Political reporter Jennifer Beshwadi has the details from Parliament House. Jen, how is the coalition going to make this happen? Well, Ange, a few ways the Prime Minister will tomorrow unveil the coalition's future fuels and vehicle strategy, which aims to bring down the cost of electric cars. Now, the focus, much like the net zero policy, is on technologies. The federal government will be partnering with the private sector to invest in the technologies needed to make electric cars more affordable. Now, there's $178 million of new money going into this fund tomorrow, which will also invest in charging stations. Uh, for households and for businesses. The government says this will create uh, more than 2,600 jobs. Now, there will also be a focus on uh, ensuring that the electricity grid as a whole uh, is capable of handling what will be an increase in power needed as more people buy electric cars. The government says if they don't do this, well, then uh, the extra costs will be passed on to consumers, whether they buy electric cars or not, Ange. So, Jen, the Prime Minister was criticised during the last election campaign for saying electric vehicles will end the weekend. So what's changed? Well, Angie was talking about Bill Shorten's policy, uh, which uh, set a target for 50% uh, of all new cars in Australia to be sold uh, to be electric cars by 2030. Scott Morrison says this policy doesn't set a target. Uh, it's about investing in those technologies which will uh, make and sell electric cars cheaper so that Australians have the option to buy one if they choose to. Angie. OK, thanks so much, Jen. The Foreign Minister for Pacific Island Nation Tuvalu has taken a stand on climate change in the water. Simon Coffey stood knee-deep in the ocean as he addressed the Glasgow Climate Summit, calling for urgent action to stop rising sea levels. It's a critical issue for the low-lying nation where water levels are rising by around a centimetre every three years. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. At least two investigations and three civil lawsuits are underway after a deadly stampede at a Houston music festival that killed eight people. One of the injured concert goers has accused Travis Scott of inciting the crowd surge, but the rapper says he didn't know what was unfolding. CNN correspondent Rosa Flores is live from Houston. Rosa, the victims have now been identified and the youngest was just 14 years old. You know, Angela, it is such a tragedy. I've talked to multiple concert goers who describe just the terror and the chaos of being in the crowd when all of this was going down. Now, this initially started as a case involving crowd control and a crowd compression, and now it's a criminal investigation. This changed this weekend when the Houston Police Department announced that there was a security guard who reported that he was pricked in the neck, that he went unconscious and he was revived with Narcan and that other individuals in the crowd were also treated with Narcan. Look, here's the timeline. There's about 50,000 people at this concert on Friday. At 9.15, that's when the crowd started compressing towards the stage. By 9.38, authorities say that this had turned into a mass casualty event with one officer saying there were multiple people on the ground in cardiac arrest needing medical attention. And the concert ended at about 10.10. And the Houston Police Department, Angela, say that this is a very active investigation right now with investigators interviewing witnesses and going through video. And Rose, what what can you tell us about these uh, civil lawsuits that are being prepared? You know, there are multiple lawsuits that have been filed. And in essence, uh, what is being alleged here is that there was gross negligence, that the organizers that put together this concert uh, did not do it safely. And so, of course, this is going to be a long court battle. And we've reached out to these concert goers um, uh, about for comment and also to the defendants. So who are they suing? They're suing Live Nation. They're suing Travis Scott and also the promoter here. Uh, the name of the promoter is Scoremore. So we'll have to see what pans out. Um, because the, the bar for gross negligence is very high here in the state of Texas. So we're going to have to see what happens in court, Angela. And how has the rapper Travis Scott responded to what happened? You know, he issued a video statement over the weekend saying that he was devastated, that he's heartbroken, and that, of course, that he loves his fans and that he stopped the concert once he realized the severity of the situation. And I can tell you by talking to multiple concert goers, they described that throughout the concert, at several intervals, Travis Scott paused his performance, would point to the crowd where people needed medical attention so that people knew that there was an emergency there. 
the people that I talked to, the concert goers, said that that happened two or three times. And based on the timeline from the police, the concert was eventually stopped at about 10, 10 p.m. I talked to one concert goer that says he looked at his watch at the time when the concert stopped. It was about 10, 13, 10, 14. He was in the back. He didn't even realize that this had turned tragic until the next day when he watched the news. And now, of course, everybody uh, processing what happened here and, and, and the tragedy now that authorities say that eight people have died and the ages of those individuals between the ages of 14 and 27. Just tragic. And Rosa, I can see behind you there appears to be a sort of growing tribute to those victims. You know, there is. You'll see cards, candles, flowers. I've been talking to some of the people that have uh, walked here to drop off uh, some of these items. Some of them were concert goers who were here from out of town who wanted to stop and pay their respects before heading back home. And Angela, I've got to share with you, I talked to three college students that go to college in Atlanta, Georgia, and they say that they're traumatized by this experience. They're big Travis Scott fans. They've gone to multiple concerts in the past, but they say that it was extremely traumatizing because at moments they did not have control of their bodies. They were swayed by the wave. One of them mentioned that they believe that they saw one of the dead bodies. And so now they're wondering once everyone is identified and the photographs are released if they are going to recognize one of those people in those photos and then when i asked him the question will you go to another travis scott concert these three women said no never again because they are so traumatized in fact they're going back to college and now angela they say they don't even know if they're going to be going to college parties because they feel claustrophobic around too many people and they were thinking college parties usually happen inside they can't fathom being in large groups of people anymore because of what happened here at astroworld yeah a lot of ongoing trauma uh, rosa flores from cnn thanks so much for your reporting there's been another mishap on the set of Alec Baldwin's movie Rust just weeks after its cinematographer was accidentally killed. A crew member could lose his arm after being bitten by a deadly brown spider while packing up the production. He has undergone several operations. Investigations are still underway into the death of Helena Hutchins with claims the gun handed to Alec Baldwin was deliberately loaded with live ammunition by an angry crew member. The United States has opened to visitors for, from more than 30 countries for the first time in almost two years. Travel and aviation expert James Wilkinson is live for us from New York. Wilco, what's it like over there right now and how hard was it to get into the country? Great to see you, Angie. Yeah, very exciting day for the US. Some 30 countries uh, are now able to come here um, as, of, as of in a few hours' time. And yeah, it, it's interesting. I hadn't been to New York since... Uh, February last year, and, and it almost felt like I was here uh, just then because it's um, it, it's buzzing. It, it, there's energy. There, there's traffic everywhere. There's there's lots of taxis. You, you can barely sort of get around at the moment. Um, but coming over, I came across on Delta, and it was actually probably one of the easiest experiences I've ever done to to New York. Getting through LAX and and going through the Delta terminal it wasn't like wasn't crazy busy, but it was busy. And then it was straight on to New York. And when I got here, it was like you'd never left. It was like there's just this this buzz about the U.S. at the moment, and not too dissimilar to what we're used to on flying domestically. You've got to have a mask on for the entire journey. You've got to have it through the airport, and 
and everyone's paying attention to it. Um, and in New York here, anywhere you go, you've got to show a vaccination certificate. So I've just got my, I've got my one on my, my Apple wallet. So it's really easy, but they're checking everywhere. So you do feel a lot better about sort of being here and being in venues than maybe what I thought the experience might have been. And what about getting into the US? Do you need to have the, um, be fully vaccinated? Do you need to show a <laughs> PCR showing your negative? Yeah, you've got to um, you've got to be fully vaccinated. Um, there are some exemptions, and for those that aren't vaccinated, but it is basically you've got to be vaccinated, and you've got to do a test three days before. So you can't just go to a drive-through test in you know, Sydney, Melbourne, or Brisbane. You, you, you actually have to go to a clinic or a specialist and actually get the proper test done because you do need email proof of your negative test. And I was checked on that uh, at departure at Sydney Airport. And I did have it with me in Los Angeles. I, I didn't need it in Los Angeles, but I, you, you can upload it onto on like, airlines like Delta. You can upload it actually to their website before you travel. So it gives you a tick. So you don't even have to show anyone anymore. It's really seamless, actually. I thought it was a lot, a lot better. But it's, um, yeah, it, it's just having that. And it's making sure you've got your certificates, like your international VAC certificate you need as well. So I carried it on me yesterday when I was walking around New York and having lunch or going shopping. Uh, but everyone was just uh, everyone was pretty happy with the the one on my mobile phone, so that wasn't too bad. And what about uh, travelling within the US? Because obviously, travelling domestically here in Australia is fraught with the border closures and the different rules. Are there different mm -hmm. rules in different states over there? Yeah, the only state uh, Ange, that did have a different rule was Hawaii. They've actually just changed that to be in line with the US government, actually, as of as of today. So um, that was anyone that was different. Everything else, otherwise, it's 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 just normal travel. Um, it's interesting going to airports, uh, you know, like from Sydney, which was empty, and then through LAX, which was uh, which was busy, uh, just to see how normal it is for people uh, to do it again. But yeah, it, it was like literally like traveling uh, last year, apart from just having a mask on for the journey. But yeah, it was. Um, it's interesting just to see how quickly it's going to move. Though when I went through um, LAX when I landed, as you know, that Tom Bradley can be a very busy terminal, and there was no one there, which was a very strange experience. Um, they have taken down the kiosks, though, for Esther on arrival. However, um, once they checked it, there was no second check when you left. So it was actually a bit faster. But I was talking to just some of the immigration officials walking through, and they said, look, it, it, it's like the calm before the storm. Um, airports like LAX and New York are all of a sudden about to get super busy. I looked online before. I know there's something like 30 flights just from London and Paris alone coming into New York today. So uh, that's just an indication of how fast it's going to pick up. But domestically, it's been really busy with just US travellers travelling. So putting in internationals into the mix, it's going to get even busier. And so do you think you have to allow more time, like if you're transiting through a, a, an airport, do you have to allow more time? Does it take lots of time to get through showing all your COVID passports and the like? Um, I thought it was going to be. Sydney Airport was probably the most of the checks, to be honest, because you were checked when you first got to the desk before you actually got to a check-in desk. So you did have to show your credentials first. Um, but in the US, it was just, uh, yeah, it was just the usual two hours between flights. I think I had about half an hour to relax by the time you drop bags off. But it's just, it's just, a, it's going to be a customer of just getting used to queues again, Angie. It, it's one of those things in the US, as we know, is that the security lines can be really long. Um, Again, and then Sydney Airport was super quiet. So I, I think I would allow a little bit more time just in case um, because there aren't as many staff working. You've got to remember that Sydney Airport hasn't been rebooted, as we know yet. I mean, this is all coming in the next few weeks, isn't it, with a lot more airlines coming back to Australia from December. I mean, we look at sort of Delta's one, but you've got American coming soon, United, Double Daily, Qatar, upping flights, Singapore, all in, in the next couple of weeks. So I would give it a little bit more time just because of airports like Sydney 
aren't entirely ready yet. Also, the other interesting thing going through Sydney Airport, there's so much being done again. All the, a lot of the shops were closed. Mm. So the other thing I would probably do is maybe if, if, you, if you do have a, a late morning flight, maybe have breakfast before you get to the airport, just, um, just in case that there are some things that aren't open. Okay, so well, just little things like that I'd be mindful of. That's a good tip. So uh, just quickly before you go, when do you reckon we're going to get the best mm -hmm. deal for flights to get over there or to the UK? Oh, I've been seeing them, Ange, recently. I know that uh, Delta put a lot of great shares into the market. I know that Qatar Airways just launched a sale a couple of days ago. So we are starting to see that now. And, and this is actually for travel right through next year. But I'm still, I'm still looking at sort of when I would travel in terms of best deals. There are some actually early December at the moment on that shoulder season before you hit school holidays. Okay. And then the next trench is really going to be, I think there's going to be phenomenal specials coming out late January for travel in February and March. So okay. we are going to see a lot of specials very quickly and a lot of airlines turning up very fast with lots of seats in Australia. Good tip. Okay, thanks as always, Wilco. Enjoy your time over there. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for your company this evening. From the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Angela Cox. Good night. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.